Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a podcast that showcases the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of What's Your Why, and thank you for joining me again. We appreciate your ears and your time, and we hope to continue bringing you the inspiration and motivation that you seek. This podcast was created to connect, align, and enlighten listeners from across all walks of life by bringing you great stories from interesting guests. I know that I've said it before, and we may have hit the jackpot again with our lovely guest in this episode. Piper Clem is a successful amateur rider with an anything but amateur career. It started with falling in love with horses, then getting a top-of-the-class PhD from Berkeley, which led to taking a break, trying something new, and then buying a print publication which she developed into the digital marketing company we know today, The Plaid Horse. Piper Clem didn't cease to amaze me throughout our conversation and no doubt still has many tricks up her sleeve. She's a breath of fresh air who operates with total transparency, which many might say is the number one factor that's lacking in today's society. But we'll let you be the judge of that. I invite you to get comfy and listen in on this amazing introduction to Piper Clem, where I can assure you, you'll learn something new and maybe even something new about yourself. Thanks for listening and enjoy. If you're looking for what is your purpose, go out and do everything. So firstly, Piper, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I certainly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I know a little bit about your background as far as your introduction into the equestrian industry, uh, where that led you with regard to your education, but I'd really love to hear more about your discovery process to the Plaid Horse magazine and also discovering your entrepreneurial spirit. So for our listeners, Piper comes to us from a non-horse family, but started riding at an early age, right? Yep. And fell in love with horses and all things horses until then falling out of love with horses, which I think happens to a lot of us. And then at that point, you decided to attend university. You achieved a PhD in chemistry from the University of Berkeley, but then hard left. And now you're the owner and operator of a very successful magazine and media outlet called The Plaid Horse. Yep. So was there a catalyst in your life that made you want to redirect your professional energy towards journalism and really ultimately entrepreneurship? I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My parents were early entrepreneurs back in the day before it was really a word. They're big risk takers. They were always changing what they were up to. I lived in a house really of a culture where if you want to go do something, go do it. There weren't barriers. Of course, they were like, don't go in the horse industry. There are no jobs there. Every parent says that, right? Yep. (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Which is interesting because I think that a lot of people that hear that from their background often find work associated to the horse industry in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. I think it makes us all think about it and it makes us really want it and really want to have a plan so that we can do it. And that's a necessary skill. Yeah. Okay, so I, I sit there and I'm like, if you're going to have children and you make a pro-con list about having children, if you look at that list rationally, yeah. no one would ever do it. But if you have an irrational desire to go have children, you should have children. What's your why? Yeah, You should absolutely. go have children, even though it doesn't make sense. Everyone who says to me, they're like, should I go to graduate school? And I tell them the same thing. If you make a pro-con list about graduate school, 
not worth it. <laughs> you would never do it. But if you have an irrational desire to study your craft and have a PhD, which I did, you yeah. should do it. It's totally worth it. And I think a business in the horse industry just follows in the exact same, any career in the horse industry, exactly the same. Like if you made a pro-con list and you're like, is this how I want to spend my life? Yeah. If you looked at that list rationally, every rational person would be like, oh, no, no thank you. Exactly. No, thank you. So chemistry yeah. to essentially journalism, that is on opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm sure you hear that a lot. But was that difficult? Yeah. Or is it difficult to go from having a scientific perspective on things to a more creative perspective on things? Absolutely. The way I look at it is I've always been an educator at heart and my my core values have been very educational. And so I, I've maintained that throughout, but I found myself doing something yesterday and someone asked me what I did and I don't, and my knee-jerk reaction, I was like, oh, I'm a chemist. And then I was like, wait, I'm kind of not anymore. <laughs> but it it is interesting. If you say that you're a horse person, people in, in daily life treat you like you're stupid. Mm. Sometimes out and about, I need a thing and I'll be like, I'm a chemist because people, the way they treat me is completely different based on what they hear. And, and simply because of miseducation, really. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think that we don't value the skills it takes to be successful in our industry because they're not traditional academic skills. My husband's a professor and I'm a professor too. And I, I'm at the university a fair amount. Not, it'll be like, oh, Piper plays with ponies. And I'm like, no, I run mm. a corporation. <laughs> Right. Stop diminishing what I do because you're uneducated in my luxury market. And I think this happens disproportionately to women and it happens disproportionately to young people. Is it it's just the instinct is to like devalue what they do. Whereas if I say I'm a chemist, most people that's a hard stop. They can't devalue what I do. They can't be like, right. oh, I can do that. Yeah. And they can't do the horse thing either, but it's a perception. No, issue. I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think is um, a driver that causes people to pivot from their, say, their chosen path, you know, yours was to be a chemist, to then shift specifically to a path with the equestrian industry? I mean, I was really good at chemistry and a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people really pressured me that since I was good at it, I should be a part of it. And I, I think that that's mm -hmm. something that I see in the equestrian industry all the time. People who are really good and other people pressure them to stay in the industry. And that's never going to get you where you want to be for having your life structured how you want. Yeah. I work so hard. And I remember thinking when my papers come out, I'll, it'll feel worth it. When my papers come out, I'll feel vindicated. And my first paper and my second paper came out that I've been working on for years and years, ended up coming out like less than a week apart. They were in huge journals. It was a double header. I couldn't have broken out of the gate any better. I couldn't have done any better. And I just remember sitting there and being like, oh. <laughs> now what? That wasn't worth it. <laughs> right? Yeah. This doesn't feel good enough to justify all the other stuff. And I really, when I pursued chemistry, I wanted answers and I wanted success. And I didn't really consider about if I enjoyed the process. And the process of chemistry is being in a lot of rooms with fluorescent lights and right. lab coats and you know, and, and sitting down with with reactions and smelly chemicals. And yeah, I didn't want to spend my whole life at the bench. I mean, interacting with other scientists, like, you know, that wasn't, you know, I'm a horse girl, I want to be at the barn. And at some yeah. point, this was just never going to do it for me. I would imagine it's a big difference between having more of an introverted skill set 
and then shifting to more of an extroverted skill set. And lucky for you, you have both and as many of us do, and you're able to pivot quickly. Yep. And that was something I looked specifically when I was kind of deciding what I want to do next. Mm -hmm. What job can I have that I could hide from people like two weeks a month (laughs) and then be extremely (laughs) social? And not many jobs fit that criteria. Yeah. The way I do it, I'm able to like kind of hide out and do my work and then also see people a lot. So it's it's a lot of mixture of that. And it's a lot of fun. It's important that you factor that in because I think so many people, when they look at a job choice or, you know, redefining themselves, they're not always so analytical to go, what boxes need to be checked and then work towards that. So did you have an aha moment essentially leading to your acquisition of the Plaid Horse magazine? So when I finished my PhD, I was totally burned out. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been riding and I hadn't really been part of the equestrian community at all. And this is going to sound weird, but like push presents were like a thing then. And so I was like, I deserve a PhD present and no one else is doing it at the time. And I still don't know if anyone else is doing it. So I came home and told my then boyfriend, now husband, that my PhD present to myself was I was going to go to thermal for the whole circuit. I was living in California. I had been a long time ago, but I hadn't been, you know, I, I... gone to Wellington a couple times mm-hmm. as a junior, but I'd never been for the, like, to me, the ultimate luxury was that you had time to just go for the whole circuit and not for have sure. to go back and forth or balance anything. And I was like, I'm just doing this. and But not riding or showing. Not riding or showing. Like, no, no plan. Just being, taking it in. Yep. So like a week into this, I was bored because I really didn't know anyone on the West Coast. So I'm not actually doing anything. And like, when you're going that hard, like relaxing is just so foreign. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel good. And so, yeah, like a weekend, someone posted something on Facebook that someone's reporter fell out who was supposed to cover the Grand Prix and was anyone sitting at Thermal doing nothing. Uh, (laughs) Hello, I am. And I was like, oh, I I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd never taken a journalism class. I had, you know, written science articles, but I had never written anything. Talk about finding your style quick. (laughs) Yep. And I was doing pictures too. And I would be stressed today <laughs> to right? doing pictures and the interviews and all this stuff and then getting the Grand Prix coverage out at night. And so, yeah, so I went up to all these riders and, and trainers and interviewed them afterwards. And it was a complete light bulb moment. I had never thought about how the Chronicle was put together. I read it religiously every week. Yeah. And from an educational standpoint, I always asked so many questions and everyone told me how obnoxious I was being or, you know, that... <laughs> to shut up. And instead here, it's like people, they were so excited. They were so excited to tell me why they yeah. rode the line, you know, why it walked a four, but they were pretty sure it was a five and did a five. You know, it's social media was very new then. Mm-hmm. And I just saw such opportunity to make, to make this sport into what it was missing for me, you know, and have these pathways and have these educational systems. And the education factor was the one that, thing that was missing. Yeah, I could learn, you know, on, frankly, on a budget. You know, we, I never had the means to really pursue this as a junior. And if I interviewed people, they would tell, you know, it's like a clinic. They tell you, you the know? secrets. They tell you the secrets. Um, yeah. And I could share those secrets and we can make videos course walking and how people do things and how they thought about things. And the access to me was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I graduated in December that year. And that was thermal. And my husband got a job at St. Lawrence University in upstate New York. Okay. So we ended up moving in July. And the way things happened with our move was that 
he's on tenure track and there are almost no positions like that. And we kind of had to go where the jobs are. And so he loves it here. He's really happy here. We didn't move here for me, you know? Right. And so it's a very rural community. There's not a lot to do. And I'm finding my thing, but like, I need time. And yeah. we had no money, but he was like, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> Find go, your for it. go for it. <laughs> yep. So I spent a lot of that first year going to war shows from here. Um, and I was getting my pony business kind of back moving in the background. I started taking pictures and really getting on social media more and figuring out how we could use these things. And I had so many ideas and I gave so many people so many ideas. And yeah. I was just told that I was mostly rebuffed, you know, oh, you don't know how media works. Social media is just a fad. You don't mm. know how marketing works. And I kind of believed it at some level because I'm just like literally this girl who's walking in the street off of, out of her chemistry lab being like, right. I'm pretty sure there's something here. Yeah. But I loved it. And so the next year, so it was about a year after that, I had been submitting articles and photos. As and a freelancer. As a freelancer to everywhere. Right. As a freelancer, you have no say. You get paid almost no money. It's almost not worth it to go. But Finding your thing. Finding your thing. Yeah. And then I hit the road and I found my thing. And then I thought I wanted to do a website, but I also still looked like I was 12. So I knew that I couldn't just start something brand new. Right. And I also knew that my inexperience, I could catch up to the experience of an older publication with hard work, but I knew my inexperience would bite me if I came out of the gate with something brand new. Okay. And there were a lot of brand new things at the time, you know, a lot of brand new things that weren't catching. Mm -hmm. and, and that scared me too. So I started looking for something that had a little bit of longevity and something to work with. Oh, interesting. So to purchase something mm -hmm. that already existed rather than starting your own. And I had a little bit together from my pony business. I didn't have a lot. So my options were limited, but I ended up, I didn't know who owned the plaid horse. I called around. I found out who owned it. I gave her a call. I didn't read into it at all. And on the first call, I was like, would you sell? And she was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I purchased it on a like mortgage structure. So I made a small down payment and then oh, I nice. paid monthly until it was paid off. So being a chemist and self-admitted, maybe a little bit green mm -hmm. or new. Mm -hmm. How do you even go about that thinking, well, I'm going to buy a magazine. So where do I start? Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. I just started calling people and I had been doing enough freelancing that I knew some people who knew some people and people were really gracious about giving phone numbers or making introductions. But yeah, yeah it was all based on just expand your network and see what falls in your lap. Exactly. God, that's like hammering the pavement. That's yep. a lot of work. And cold calling and just being like, would you sell it or hearing numbers and being like, oh, no, not, <laughs> yeah. not that. Uh, I don't mean sell it like that. <laughs> Did you hear a lot of no's before you heard a yes? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was that a little soul destroying? Yeah. But I was at be. a place in my life where, I mean, my soul was pretty destroyed from grad school. So <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> it's not like they were going to hurt me at that point. <laughs> right. You can take anything. And I know she's been on your show. I remember meeting Tracy Brooks at Harrisburg. Yeah. yeah. When you said pounding the pavement, I literally just walked up to her and stuck my paw out and said, oh, hi, I'm Piper Clem. <laughs> nice to meet you. Right. And like I did with so many people and it turned into nothing with so many people. And, you know, the few times in the beginning, especially that it turned into something, it was just leveraging yeah. those relationships. I think that's so important for 
well, anybody to learn, but I say young people just because we hope that there's a certain amount of our demographic. There are young people that are listening, but it's important. We've touched on it before that you just introduce yourself. You just talk to people. You just look at people in the eye and you shake their hand and it might not be anything, but you know that person or you've at least met that person or it's a contact and it's just important to have in your repertoire moving forward through life. Absolutely. And they can say no, or they can say that they don't want to be friends with you, or they can not remember you when you meet them the next 30 times. All of these things happen to me regularly. Absolutely. But that's okay, because it's not about those people. It's about the ones you meet who do matter. And you just have to sift through. Yeah. So in going through all of this, would you describe yourself as being brave? I think absolutely, because I consider braveness to be doing something that terrifies you and doing it anyways. And I... Mm -hmm. It's not natural to me to cold call or cold walk up. You know, I have to rev myself up. And like, I would make myself lists every day. Like, I I remember there was definitely a point in my magazine. I don't know where I came up with the number, but six was my number. Like, every morning I had to wake up and call six people I didn't know and introduce myself. And once I did that, I could cross it off my list. And that terrified me. But I knew that that's what I needed to do. Or I'd go to the horse show and say, okay, I need to go walk up to six people I don't know and introduce myself. Yeah. My mom would just do that for fun. I don't think it's brave for her to do that. It's just part of her. It's just part of her. I mean, she would, (laughs) when she would visit me at horse show, she still does. Oh, I met like 12 people this morning. And I'm like, people would accuse me of doing that. So I know exactly your mother already. (laughs) And she's amazing. My husband's the same way. Yeah. It's not brave for them, but was really hard for me. And I think the riding is the same thing. Like, it's really hard for me. I'm really scared, you know, and I have to be so brave and I have to harness that Mm -hmm. energy. But I don't I don't feel like there's anything I can't do, but I do have to have to harness it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that the plaid horse has a lot of different facets from the magazine. You do a great podcast, which I've listened to blogs, books, college courses. There's a lot of different facets to it. Do you feel like you've superseded your initial goals? I'm not sure I had goals. You know, my goals were really education and it's so nebulous. And and so every day I'm kind of surprised that this is still working for me. (laughs) (laughs) This is my dream and this is what I want to do every day. And I'm surprised that people let me. Right. So I I think it's more based on that. I definitely, yeah, I mean, we've pushed into areas that have been wrong and I've gotten bit for that and we've backed off and I'm I'm trying Mm -hmm. to do less and more strategic right now. And that's been going really well for us, but I'm not that goal oriented. I'm so unbelievably competitive that if I start getting goal oriented, I don't think I actually make the best product. It kind of goes back to your earlier question about the creativity versus the can. Yeah. I try to keep myself from getting too goal oriented and and focus on the creative. No, I understand that. So my, I was going to ask you, what's your number one goal with publishing? But clearly that is not a question that we're going to keep in there. Educate people. (laughs) Just to educate people. And make them feel welcome in our sport. I think that we're so bad at welcoming people to our sport and it's ridiculous. How so? I go to horse shows and I go to horse shows all the time. And I pull into horse shows I've never been to before. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel welcome. There's no sign. Just from pulling in, just from, just from a in. simple thing yep. like a sign or whoever you're speaking to. No one's telling you where to park. You're like, oh, do I belong here? Am I, mm-hmm. am I allowed to be here? And that stretches all the way through. 
you know, people who have done this their whole lives are like, well, well, people like me aren't welcome at Devon or WEF or whatever these barriers are. And you can say, oh, well, of course they're welcome. That's ridiculous. But like, it's not rational. It's a feeling. And I think every, it's a universal feeling to have felt unwelcome in some sort of horse show or horse situation. And Mm -hmm. there's just no need for that. Everyone should ride and join us and be part of this community in any way that they want to and feel empowered to be part of our community. And dare I say it, it's part of removing that sort of elitist mentality or thought process that tends to follow the horse industry around a little bit. Because there really is something for everybody in any way, shape or form, whether you're riding, whether you're watching, whether you're just there to hang out outside of COVID, of course, but there is something for everybody. But maybe we need to publicize that a little bit more. Absolutely. Like if you want to go to the horse show and watch 10 trips and go shopping and eat lunch, welcome. You can do it. Yeah. (laughs) I think people get so wrapped up in like, oh, I'm not showing in this division or in that ring or this other thing. And it's like, right. You know, wherever you want to meet us in our sport, we should be saying welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So what is next for you or the publication or any of the facets that are attached to it? Sort of a big question, but. I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is it's hard to just maintain with how many things we have going on. And I've gotten to where I am for sure, rabble rousing and stuff. And it's it's very different. Rabble rousing as the rebel and then being on top. And like even just in the last year, I've felt a lot more heat from people who have expectations of us well, you you owe the community this, or it's your responsibility to be a good role model on that. And, and those things just didn't exist before. And so even as we grow, m- maintaining becomes so much more of a beast than it, mm-hmm. than it ever was. We have book four of the Show Strides book series coming out this year. So I'm really excited about that to keep that moving forward. And those are books that are directed to youth? Yep. Yeah. Middle grade. So kind of eight to 11. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of leeway in children's age reading. Your first one was published on Audible. Yes. Yep. All three With of you them narrating. Are. Yep. Yep. Amazing. Yep. And so I'm excited about that. We're, we're looking at putting out a few more books this year. We work with Trafalgar last year to get Jeff Teal's book republished that was out of print. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's such an educational book. I wish everyone took the time to read it. And that was just simply, I told a couple of people to read it. And then because it was out of print, the the price shot to over $1,000 a book on Amazon. Come on. And you talk about hitting the pavement. I didn't know anybody involved, but I called around until I got the publisher on the phone. And I said, how can we work together to fix it? And she said, I don't know if there's a market. And I, you know, I said, I think there's a market. And we worked together to get it republished and out to the market again. And, And there was a market and it it ended up working out great for for both of us and, yeah. and and getting that education back in people's hands. So I think it's a lot of stuff like that. And that's not something that I planned to do last year or was on my list or on my radar at all. And then when it came up, we had the ability to jump on it. So I think that's kind of everything. But yeah, keeping the podcast and the blog and the magazines coming out is plenty for, <laughs> for right that's now. That's like a full-time job and a half. Just that. Forget about the college courses that you... <laughs> And being a professor. Yep. Oh, wow. You got a lot on your plate, girl. So with regard to entrepreneurial skills, what do you think is the biggest danger for entrepreneurs in operations? Is it just what you said about size and maintenance? I think that especially in the horse industry, that there are a lot of 
us, and I'll put myself in this category, who are basically gamblers and Mm. gambling is an addiction. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I see people who treat horse sales like compulsive gamblers like it's oh well you know on my next big score you know I just have to sell one horse and I'm right again and I'm like this is (laughs) this is entrepreneurship gone (laughs) right gone a little bit askew and so I, I think that the biggest thing in our industry is that first of all you are not a client and you can't live like a client and you can't expect to live like a client we're all surrounded by people who live in a manner that There's no business in the horse industry that you are ever going to have, no job in the horse industry you can take that will let you live like a client in this industry. And I think being exposed to wealth kind of brings out all of our worst selves sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that having that mixture of high risk and solid and, you know, you need a portfolio of investments. If everything in your portfolio is high risk, that doesn't work. And so many horse people, every single thing in their portfolio is a horse or a business in this industry or something that's high risk. And, you know, you need to have a base, you need to have a plan, you need to have stuff settled when, when it doesn't go well. You know, I have a lot of flexibility in this manner because my husband got tenure here at St. Lawrence and he has a ton of stability. I'm able to take a lot of really big risks because I have stability sitting at home. If you don't have that stability sitting at home, you can't take the risks that I take. And so like looking at your role models really critically and what do they and don't they have to bring to the table. And I think especially in this industry, people struggle at truly evaluating what they do and don't have to work with. And I would say that's one of the biggest things I preach is there's no right or wrong decision in this industry, but it's looking at something objectively and saying, okay, if I have $10,000 to horse show this year, rationally, I can go to 20 local shows or I can go to four A-rated horse shows. Right. Is there a right answer? Is there a wrong answer? No, but you need to have that conversation and know that one of those is an answer that you're going to choose Mm-hmm. And no decision is a decision. And really saying, okay, this is what I have going for me and this is what I don't. Yeah. And I think we don't educate people on decision making as much in this industry. It's like either, oh, I did exactly what my trainer said, or, you know, there's just, there's no. How to assess and decide, or rather than maybe feel and decide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you talk about meta game. I've heard this before. Can you explain that concept? It's very interesting to me. So can you explain that concept and why it's so important? For sure. If you've ever been sitting there and been like, how is that person getting ahead? I'm so much better than them. Or why did that person get better grade on the test? I know so much more than them. (laughs) You're a victim of metagame. (laughs) So metagame is the game surrounding what the actual game is supposed to be. So it's a strategy. So if you're watching Jeopardy, Jeopardy is ostensibly a game of knowledge and whoever has the most knowledge should win, right? Mm -hmm. Well, sort of. Whoever has the most knowledge plus whoever is the fastest at using the buzzer and who's the most strategic about the daily double and who's calculated how Jeopardy works in their favor. So it's not just the smartest person that wins. It's the person who has the most Skills. skills, all of the things, all of the things. And you can't not have game. You can't not have the knowledge. Like if you're all metagame, you're screwed too. 
Right. But there's some combination of game plus metagame that is what all the top people have that they approach the sport with. So, okay, I don't pre-purchase anything and people roll their eyes at me, but a pre-purchase exam is an evaluation of risk and you're spending a ton of money on the evaluation of risk. So the way I look at it is either I'm buying a hugely risky investment and I know the horse doesn't pre-purchase anyway, so why bother? (laughs) That's a waste of money. Or if the horse is already doing the job that it's currently doing and successful. Just give me the maintenance plan. Exactly. You know, who cares if it has something on the x-ray that the previous owners didn't know about either, you know? But also, I have a pony business where I buy the ponies for resale. It's very delineated. All the horses that I own are for me personally. So I'm not trying to resale the horses. You know, there's so many other factors in this. But I ask people all the time, I'm like, why are you doing a pre-purchase exam? People haven't even thought about that. They're like, well, well, I need to protect myself. And I'm like, okay, but there are other ways to assess risk. Why would you spend three, four, five, six grand assessing risk in this dimension only when you're not assessing risk? You know, did you pull a horse report and ask why three years ago it had nine months off? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are other ways to assess risk and like at what level price point is it worth it to spend this much on a pre-purchase? Because I see people at low price points all the time have $20,000 to spend on a pony, do a $5,000 pre-purchase, the pony flunks. And then they're like, oh, now we have 15000 to spend on the pony. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So I, I think that, you know, really just thinking about what we want out of situations is so important. And then every horse has holes. Every barn has holes. Every trainer has holes. And I think that analyzing metagame lets you pick what's right for you. And everyone's making sacrifices to do this. And you need to match the sacrifices that work with you. And then, you know, the hunters, it's a subjective sport. It just is a subjective sport. The ones Mm -hmm. that go early, the ones that go middle, the ones that go at the end, they're not going to be getting the exact same judging experience. And Mm -hmm. the judge is not a robot. And like there's strategy that goes into every part of this, getting into the under saddle first, getting into the And that's the metagame that you're talking about. Yep. Your tall boots being shiny is a metagame. Your tall boots being shiny doesn't help you ride any better. But you walk in with that polished presentation look and your tall boots are shiny and the judge can see them from the box, that's metagame. Well, you're 10 points up, that's for sure. And so your trainer teaches you how to ride, but no one's teaching you the metagame. No one's teaching you how are you, you know, going to strategize. If you gave most parents like a fixed amount of money and said, how would you go about your kid's sport? That's how people need to think about it. You know, if if they have Mm -hmm. goals of going for college riding and that kind of stuff, you know, thinking about that fixed sum of money and how they would best use it. So it's your intention to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's your intention to use your media outlet to partially be able to educate people on that exact concept. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think it's something that while there's no way we can make horses cheap, you know, riding and saddle time will always be expensive. Mm -hmm. But metagame is something that you can choose to be responsible for. And metagame is your mental skills. It's your diet. It's your fitness. It's all of these aspects that you can control and, mm-hmm. you know, how much you understand about what the judge is looking for. How many kids you talk about, you know, you say, oh, well, your, your goal is to ride at an even pace all the way around the course. And they can learn that from a book. They don't need to learn that from their trainer. 
you know, what the goal is and then actually riding it, they learn from their trainer. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up mental skills coaching. So as I don't know if you know or not, but we had an interview with Tanya Johnston earlier, and I think that she is maybe your mental skills coach. Mm -hmm. Do you find that um, incorporating a mental skills coach into your life or for your writing uh, skills has crossed over into the business world and helped your business at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we can all get a better control of our own mental game and how we approach things. And I think part of it is taking stuff personally. I'm really sensitive by nature. I want to take everything personally. I want. I a thousand percent agree with you, by the way, on that one. <laughs> a thousand percent. It's so hard to not to cut you off. I apologize for that. But it's so hard to just remove yourself from that situation if you're taking it personally. Absolutely. And I a thousand percent want everything said to me to be a slight, like I'll look for it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't, especially as we grow. And I've read a lot of Brene Brown and written a, about that, about the shame and the vulnerability. And, yeah, you know, I think this all goes back into the writing of everyone's just doing their own thing and in your horse is doing their own thing. Your trainer is doing their own thing. You're doing your own thing. And the goals really aren't to hurt anyone, but any, you know, it's so easy to get hurt in all of these relationships. You know, my yeah. horse, he'll, <laughs> I love him so much, but he'll kind of always let you down, you know? Oh yeah. One of those. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to win. <laughs> mm -hmm. He can win anything. He's so kind and he's so happy and I'm so grateful to have him in my life. But also if I had to flip a coin, if I was going to get a 90 or 55 in the next round, like no clue. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and we love him for that because that's our expectation of him. And we just kind of laugh and, and he's part of the family. But also he's not doing it personally. No. He has no idea what my goal is out in the ring, which... He's only ever done the hunters for like 10 years. You think you would have figured yeah. it out by now. <laughs> right. And that's definitely a skill that crosses over, you know, from the equestrian world into business. Just maybe don't take it as personally. You yeah. know, it's not always directed personal. So uh, that's a hard one to learn, though. Definitely. I tell all the kids, and I'm not good at always following it myself, is that like if you follow people around all day, which is what I spent a lot of days doing, mm -hmm. they treat everyone the same all day long. The kids do. Oh, adults. like. When you're interacting with other people, if I followed you around all day, you would treat everyone you encountered the same way because that's how you treat people. Yeah. And then when you really think about that, you're like, oh my God, this person being rude to me or being mean to me, that's just how they treat. They, they're mean to everyone all day long. That's how they right. treat people. Like how people treat you is a reflection of them and not a reflection of you. And because mm -hmm. I treat people the same way all day long and... You know, if someone is coming out of the gate and just being really awful to you, that's completely them. It's not you. Yeah. You need to maybe think what's going on in their world so that I can love this person for where they're at. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. So you found your thing in life. We talked about the thing earlier. We, you found your thing in life. How do you recommend that other people find their thing as well? I recommend that everyone say yes all the time. I'm in situations all the time where young people are like, no, I can't come to dinner. I have an exam tomorrow. Or like, I, I can't go on that trip because X or Y, or I can't dive in deep because I'm holding myself back for some reason. And 
get out there, dive in deep and, and fail, go on trips, go be in situations where you're really not sure how they're going to work out if someone offers you. I mean, I can't tell you how many horse shows I've been to because anything, someone said I could sleep on their floor and I was like, sure, great. Like, that moves the needle for me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, on the flip side, I can't tell you how many people who have been like, I'll do anything to be part of what you're doing. And I'm like, here are the parameters, you know, write an article and nothing ever comes short. in. Yeah. yeah. Or, or come to this horse show and join us. You're welcome to stay with us. And, you know, they never do. And I understand there's so many things going on and I don't judge anyone for that. But if you're looking for what is your purpose, go out and do everything. When I wasn't riding, I was looking for something that would fill that time. Mm -hmm. And I never found it, but I also tried literally everything. And so as a kid, I sat there being like, okay, riding was my thing, but I never tried anything else. When I came back as an adult, I knew I wanted to do this because I had tried everything. One week, I bought a skateboard and started skateboarding around campus, and I was so oh, yeah. bad at it. So bad. You know, you those kids that are, like, so slick-looking skateboarding around <laughs> not campus. Not Tony Hawk. And I'm not Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> but they look so cool, and I want to yep. be. But I did not enjoy riding the skateboard. I did not have any natural aptitude for riding the <laughs> skateboard. But I know that, and I, I think that knowing what you don't want is so important. I learned in graduate school what we were saying earlier. Like I loved going to conferences and being social and then going back in the lab and doing my work away from other people. Mm -hmm. My husband could go in seven days a week and speak to an auditorium and he would never fatigue from that. And I, I do like to him, his dream job is to teach general chemistry for the next 50 years, which is probably what he's going to do with tenure. And I'm like, <laughs> no. kudos to him. I would be apoplectic about oh getting up in front of that many people. I'm sure you've done it a lot, but we'll f yeah. that makes my knees rattle. <laughs> oh, for sure. And he goes to a party and by the end of the party, he knows every single person, yeah. <laughs> everything about them. And that fuels him. And it just, it doesn't with me. And, but I know that from trying it and I know that yeah. from going out every night and, and doing it and being social and. And I've done so many things that I'm bad at. Well, I was going to say that's probably the flip side of it is understanding to say yes, but then also maybe understanding that it's all right if you're not good at something. Don't take it personally, right? <laughs> yep. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado... I bring you the what's and why's for your listening pleasure. I'm taking a quick break from our fab chat to bring you a short message. First, that we hope you find as much enjoyment in listening to the show as we find in making it. And also, that we welcome your feedback, questions, and guest suggestions anytime. Please reach out to us either by email, info at whatsyourwhy.ca, or by our social media platforms at whatsyourwhy1, our number one goal is always to bring good things to good people. So please keep sharing with your friends and family too. Thanks for listening and be well until next time we see you here. Who do you look up to and why? I look up to anyone who can do this sustained for a long period of time. I definitely try to talk to the people who are still in the game and still actually doing it. Yeah as they age. And I spend lots of time asking them questions and being part of that. 
And I know that's vague, but there's so many people in our sport who get a lot of attention and fade out. And, and in chemistry, it's the same way. There's so many young hotshots. I mean, I guess I'm one of them too. That fades out. And, <laughs> you know, to do something sustained for long enough to truly make huge impact is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that brings you joy and why? I love going out to breakfast. And I think I'm totally- I've never had an answer like that before. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm totally no, no phones at meals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And to me, going out to breakfast means that you're not on a schedule. You're always on a schedule, but like that morning, you can just go out to breakfast. It's not like dinner when you're exhausted. It's just like such a treat. It's true that. When you look back through your life, what brings you the most happiness and why? I think it's the hard things that I've done. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of myself for the stuff that was a huge challenge. You know, the horses that were hard and, you know, my PhD and, and, and doing things that were hard and also things that were just, there were things I can't believe I did that were just kind of ridiculous. And from saying yes, and there is stuff you couldn't have ever planned out. And it just all worked out. It all worked out. Yep. Yeah. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? I'm not even sure if they get it wrong, but I think a lot of people want to paint me out as snooty or something. <laughs> and I am sometimes. It's interesting because people who have never met me, if you only read it, it says Piper Clem PhD all the time. Mm -hmm. They'll say to me, oh, like she's obsessed with her doctorate. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you talk to me in person, that's not how it goes. But if you put that much effort into that education, you deserve to have those letters after your name as far as I'm concerned. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they tortured us enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who would you like to hear on What's Your Why as a guest and why? Going back to the first question, I, th I think it's the people who have been doing this for a long time and, and have reinvented themselves and staved burnout and mm -hmm. anyone who this industry changes so much so quickly. And if you can keep up, you're really smart and really organized and, and really have a good plan. And I think the easiest thing to do in this industry is to walk away. And I don't judge anyone who does. Like We all have our things that we need to do. But if you can make it work long term over decades in, in this sport, like that's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. That adds so many names to our list. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And people that uh, are interested in subscribing to the Plaid Horse magazine or any of the things that you do, how do they do that? Where do they get a hold of you? Thepladhorse.com has uh, mostly everything. All three Show Strides books are on Amazon, on Audible, and print and Kindle. So however you read in 2021, we are there for you. Perfect. The podcast is anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can see me at lots and lots and lots of horse shows. Just stand there and shout out your name and you're going to come <laughs> running for sure because everyone much. knows who you are. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for your time, Piper. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you. You're, uh, you're a force to be reckoned with and you're doing great things in the business. And I, I wish you the best of luck and hope that you continue with all of your endeavors. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Do you like how you're hearing today's episode? I don't mean how you're listening to it, but how you're hearing it. Whether you're driving in your car or listening on some pods, there's one thing that I'm certain of, that this podcast has been produced with the most enjoyable hearing experience possible. For those of you that know me, you know that these skills are most certainly not in my repertoire. So for that, 
What's Your Why has Twisted Spur Media Solutions to thank. Twisted Spur is an all-encompassing solution-based media company that's everything magic. Offering digital solutions in podcast and audiobook editing and production, online course and membership design and development, in addition to content creation, online paid advertising management, and project planning, it's a one-stop shop of mad skills that Heather and her team bring to every project they work on. I can and will speak from personal experience when I say that Heather is a true advocate for quality, and you won't find a better solution for your digital project than Team Twisted Spur. If you like what you hear or even just want to nose around, check them out at twistedspurmedia.com, where the process is easy and the solution is even better. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why, our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.